This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Over the years, we've had several episodes on pregnancy loss, and in particular, for the month of October, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. We want to be sure to honor all of the lost families and the babies that you hold in your heart. These are often really difficult topics to listen to, especially if you yourself have experienced a loss. Grief is one of those things that, grief is a really difficult topic, and specifically hearing about pregnancy loss and the loss of infants is so, so hard. Nobody wants to go through this ever, let alone having discussions about it that are really difficult and challenging. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about pregnancy after loss and what it's like for a lot of people who go through this. So there's some things that we touch on that might be sensitive for some listeners, especially if you've experienced a loss. Just gauge for yourself if this is something you're ready to listen to. And if not now, then come back when you are. Our guest today, Lindsay Henke, is the founder and executive director of Pregnancy After Loss Support, and she is a clinical social worker specializing as a reproductive mental health therapist with a focus on the grief and trauma that happens after perinatal loss and the pregnancy that follows. She's also a writer, wife, and most importantly, a mother of two beautiful daughters and one sweet boy. Tragically, her oldest daughter, Nora, was stillborn after a healthy full-term pregnancy in December of 2012. Lindsay's second daughter, Zoe, was born healthy and alive in March of 2014. Lindsay's writing about life after loss has been featured on Listen to Your Mother, Scary Mommy, Healthline, and the New York Times. Lindsay has had the honor of presenting all over the world on the topic of pregnancy after a previous perinatal loss, including the 2020 Mom Maternal Mental Health Forum in 2015, Pregnancy and Infant Death Alliance 2016 Conference, PSI's 2019 Conference, the 2019 Stillbirth Summit, and the International Women's Maternal Mental Health 2019 Conference in Paris, and she is currently working on her first book. So today's episode, we're going to be talking a lot about what it's like to experience a pregnancy after loss, and very importantly, trying to differentiate the difference between what is expected anxiety and when it turns into clinical anxiety. 
There's a lot of great information in here, not only for you who have been through this, but certainly if you know of anybody who's experienced a pregnancy after loss, please send them this episode. There's so much information in here for people to learn from and very specifically how to support someone who's had pregnancy after loss. So let's get into this episode and meet Lindsay. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I'm really honored to have you on today. I first heard you speak in 2015 when you were at the 2020 Mom Forum, and I remember that meeting very well. It was really, really impactful, and I was just in awe of the work that you're doing, and specifically because your work and passion comes from your own personal experience. You know, I just have so much respect for that and for what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. It's an honor to be on the show. Great. So yeah, let us know a little bit about how and why you started Pregnancy After Loss Support. Sure. So I'm the founder of Pregnancy After Loss Support, which is an online magazine and peer-to-peer support organization through social media, specifically for moms. And I should also clarify, for the birthing person, not everybody identifies as mom, but the birthing person. Mm -hmm. I'll use mom for the sake of the work we do. However, I want to mention that it is inclusive inclusive of the birthing person. So the person who is pregnant ever after a previous perinatal loss or a loss of a child, we provide services to anybody from experiencing a first trimester loss all the way up to child loss and who become subsequently pregnant after that loss. Mm-hmm. So in terms of your personal experience after going through loss, what prompted you to start this organization? Yeah. So why PALS, we call it PALS for short, was started was because in 2012, at the end of the year, after my first full-term pregnancy that was uneventful, my daughter was stillborn at 40 weeks and 40 days old. Her name is Nora. She was my first child. And basically what happened is we didn't know that loss could happen after you get past a certain point. And we went in to expecting to birth the baby uh, at the end of December. And we're told the, the words that nobody likes to hear and are talked a lot about in the lost community. I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. And we found out later that she died of a fluke E. coli infection. It's not very common. And she passed away in the night when I was sleeping. And I did believe a fallacy, the rumor that babies slow down before they get to birth, which isn't true. And so I did notice some decreased movement, but she moved before I went to bed, although it was muted movement, so it wasn't as strong. And I already knew as an active labor when I woke up a couple hours later and we got to the hospital, she had already passed away. Mm-hmm. So that was a devastating experience, especially, well, just because it's devastating. And I feel like when you lose a baby, it's heartbreaking. You yeah. lose your parenthood to that baby, hopes and dreams for that baby, no matter at gestation of the loss or anything like that. But then you also, for us, Nora was our first and only child. So we also lost the identity we hoped for as parents. I eventually came to realize I was still a mom, which is hard, I think, for a lot of lost moms Mm -hmm. to get to, even if you are a mom and have living children before that, but to be a mom to that baby that died, it's hard to wrap your head around that identity and how to parent in that way. Yeah. But when your first child dies, you lose the identity in the way you thought you were going to be a parent, and then you also lose that baby. So I was heartbroken. And I found a lot of comfort and resources online, like Still Standing Magazine is a great peer-to-peer resource for those who have lost a child or struggling with infertility and lost a child through any age, like even older children. 
mm-hmm. moms and dads write for that magazine to talk about that experience. So then what happened is I turned to writing to heal as a psychotherapist. I also went to therapy and we found out writing was a tool I really enjoyed. So then when I became pregnant again with my daughter, Zoe, who is now five in 2013, we got pregnant think about eight months after. I always am loose on the numbers, but we started trying six or four months after, even though the doctors recommended six months, mm-hmm. which is kind of common in the lost field that hope that a subsequent pregnancy would somehow fix what you feel is broken, even though mm-hmm. nothing's broken. Grief mm-hmm. is a normal response. But we thought another, we didn't think another baby would replace our baby that died. But for us as not having any living children, we were hoping to be parents to a living child. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. So when I became pregnant again, I applied to Pregnancy and Newborn Magazine's position at the time of knocked up blogger. My mom said it was a bad term when she was growing up and I'm like, okay, (laughs) but so I actually got it and they um, accepted to my weekly posts from 15 weeks all the way to when Zoe was born. And I wrote about the difficulty of going through a subsequent pregnancy. And so this is five years ago. And at the time there was a lot of resources for the mom who was just pregnant or as I call the normie, the person who hasn't experienced the loss or the women in my community do. And then there was this emerging resource of still standing magazine where it was for a lot of grief support online. But when I would, my posts would go up on still standing magazine at the time, the organization was so new that those who were deep in their new grief didn't want to hear about having a subsequent child. And I understand right. that because when I was in that place, I didn't either. Right. And then my posts would be posted on this national magazine for 
pregnancy and newborn magazine on social media, people who haven't experienced loss, rightfully so, as a therapist, I understand this, and even as someone who's been through it, like mm-hmm. who hasn't had a loss, it's like, why would you tell me such a thing? Right. So there wasn't this space for the mom or the birthing person experiencing pregnancy after loss to kind right. of come together. Mm-hmm. And so after Zoe arrived, breathing and alive, and came home with me, I wrote to my community that I had been writing to and asked if they'd want this space online and then everybody said yes and then in my postpartum period I created it with the people I knew from the different writing communities and it started off as an online magazine we were hoping it's kind of like the bump for the mom mm-hmm. going through subsequent pregnancy after a loss and then a couple of loss doulas came to me and said how about you make an online group and at the time I was also I'm a therapist and I have been before um, Nora passed away and at the time I was a trauma-focused therapist specifically for substance abuse and low income and severe persistent mental illness with women population specifically. Mm-hmm. And all I did was group therapy. So I was mm-hmm. like, I don't want to be in charge of another group. Yeah. Um, but she said, I'll help you out. And so there was no specific group at the time. It's hard to believe now that it's been five years and we have so much online support yeah. uh, booming up through social media, but there wasn't anything. So we trained volunteers and got moderators and we created one group on social media that led to like 15. Wow. And now we have over like 15, 16,000 members in those groups Amazing. that are moderated. And then we have our online magazine and our social media accounts and our newsletter and what we've evolved to because of my background. And then I slowly moved after working through my grief and my two subsequent pregnancies. Once I completed those, I moved into the area of maternal mental health. I'm getting involved in postpartum support international and going through their training. And now that's what I specialize in my area. And so I bring some of those skills to the organization pals, even though it's just a peer to peer support organization, but the research behind it when we go out to events and we table is done by me as I have that background through my education. And I go through a lot of research journals and other people's work. And we put together based on other professionals and researchers work best practices or findings from their research studies. And then we ask moms in the community, our community, if they align with each other. And then we put out what the mom, based on research and what moms are saying or the birthing person is saying, they want support with during their subsequent pregnancy from providers, family, Mm -hmm. friends, things like that, and normalize that experience of a pregnancy after loss. Oh, that's fantastic. It's so needed. It is. When you were talking about the progression of all of this, I'm like, yeah, that is shocking that there was nothing really out there like this. Yeah, it was always more of like an offshoot of the mm-hmm. lost community. Mm-hmm. And that was great. And I've done presentations on just perinatal bereavement online as well and how that's evolved because it's just become such a fast yeah. flowing thing. And if you think about the generation that we have coming up that I'm actually a part of, I'm the very tippy top, the millennials who are now the birthing population of and having pregnancies, like everything is marketed to them about pregnancy. Like there's the bump and pregnancy and all of them, but that's how we learn. We go to the internet Mm -hmm. to find educational information to become a parent. So it makes sense that we would also return to the internet to find educational information about how to grieve or how to go through a subsequent pregnancy. Right. Kind of like the postpartum community when it comes to maternal mental health and depression and anxiety. Yeah. There's so much to know about pregnancy after loss and specifically, you know, how it's different. There's a lot of ways that it's different, but I've just have heard so many ways that people say the wrong thing to people who not only have had a loss, but who are in a pregnancy after loss. So 
if we can first talk a little bit about what is unique about this period of time, this pregnancy after loss time. Sure. Well, it even backs up into like perinatal grief. So what research says and my moms and dads, because dads are affected, well, the dads and the birth person's partner, everybody is affected who is in this relationship about becoming a parent and then has a loss. They all have their own unique experience and emotional experience of that. So even backing up into perinatal grief, the uniqueness of that grief is that it's often sudden. It's happening to the mom's body or the birthing person's body. So it's physically traumatic and sometimes in nature. And it's also about this imagined future, this hoped for future that you're envisioning that you have with this child that's all of a sudden stolen from you. So in some ways, you're the only person that might have known this baby, this child, and then it's harder to have a community that grieves for you or that understands. I do feel like people are getting better at that with the awareness that's created and that there's more acceptance of grief, but it can be super isolating. And the fact that you have this unique relationship and your partner does with the baby that died, but then it's hard for the rest of the population to understand that. Mm -hmm. So then what happens during a subsequent pregnancy is that sometimes people feel like, well, you're pregnant again, you should feel better. And they say things because they might forget about your loss. Right. And I've heard people, like clients have told me, people in the community have told me, and I've, I've been lucky I haven't experienced this as much, so I'm grateful for that. But a lot of people get like, oh, well, you know, you're a mom. And it's like, well, no, I was a, I already am a mom. I have a baby that died. But right. people don't see that invisible motherhood. They only see the baby that's on its way during subsequent pregnancy. So there's a lot of those comments or, you know, of course, the grief comments, at least you were early is what some people might say. Well, mm. it doesn't matter. That was a wanted, hoped for, imagined a beautiful future together with that baby. So those comments aren't helpful. And I think I know they come from a place of wanting to help. And I think there's a great cultural movement with a lot of different people leading the way in the online community about how what we really need to do is just sit and be sad with people, mm -hmm. listen to their stories and validate where they're at so that we don't invalidate their experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, right. There's a whole like internal world and whole internal shift and change that's happening for the birthing person, for the person who is pregnant mm -hmm. that not a lot of people understand or have access to. And what I see a lot and what I would love to help people through is how much anxiety there is mm -hmm. in pregnancy after loss and thinking of like several women in my caseload that are coming in for support currently who've had multiple losses and are wanting to be pregnant again mm -hmm. and all of the anxiety that they have even before getting pregnant, mm -hmm. but certainly then during pregnancy. Can you speak a little bit about that anxiety? Sure. Yeah. And that's what I talked to about a lot of professionals about in the research that I've done and looking at other people's research as well. So I think providers need to know and family and friends and even the mom or the birthing person or the pregnant person needs to know and their partner that anxiety is expected during a subsequent pregnancy because, and that goes back to the traumatic piece. Like it's often, people are often given the news in like an ultrasound room that if it's not that the baby had passed away, but that there's something very serious, a serious diagnosis that's given that starts that story of until the baby passes away. Or it could be traumatic with a miscarriage that is experienced at home. So it's this sudden thing that happens to your body almost out of nowhere. And what that does is it creates this fear of your own body, of like the uncertainty of the unknown. And pregnancy really is 
oftentimes like unknown and it's sitting right. in this place of uncertainty. Right. And so that's only amplified during subsequent pregnancy. I often equate it to if you're in a car accident, if you're terrified of the cars, when you try to drive again, you might just be sitting in the car and you can white knuckle it until you get through because maybe it's a 30 minute drive. It's still terrifying, but you get to get out of the car. When you're pregnant again, you don't get to get out of your body. Mm-hmm. Every day you're walking through this deep anxiety about, is this going to happen again? And mm-hmm. language changes. I'm sure some of your clients have noticed that or say that. Like in the subsequent pregnancy, you no longer assume, they talk about that innocence of before the loss period. Um, mm-hmm. You don't assume baby's going to be here. You just say, if not when. And that's kind of how you live your life. And actually mm-hmm. we did a survey of our members and we had 300 people respond or over 300 people for a poster we did to the American Nurse and Midwife Conference this past year. And there was an open-ended response part and they just could share what they thought about their subsequent pregnancies. And the top five words that came up and the one that was most used was anxiety. Mm -hmm. I mean, 118 people out of 300 responders wrote that. And then the next one was stressful and then hopeful was the next one actually. So there's this balance of Mm -hmm. grief and joy hope and anxiety, but then fearful and scared were all the words that kind of describe that subsequent period for people. Sure. I I imagine it can be a mix of all of that sometimes. Yeah. And usually it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a lot to hold on to. Mm -hmm. So the person who's pregnant again after a loss is experiencing this anxiety. So you said it's to be expected. Like how, how do people differentiate between the kind of expected anxiety and when they should go maybe seek help? Oh yeah. Thanks for bringing me back to that. So I think there's like things that are going to be expected are when you go to appointments or ultrasounds or other things that remind you of that lost period, like another time that's going to cause great anxiety that's expected is when they become the same gestational week when their previous loss happened. Right. Those things are all times where higher anxiety is to be expected. When it becomes problematic is when it's this constant vigilance of baby that to the point where you, you can't get anything else done. You can't focus on your work, getting mm-hmm. in the way of your relationships. You are completely consumed with it. When you start having ritualistic behavior, so like checking behaviors of some kind that get in the way, like constantly going to the bathroom and checking your underwear, That's what I would say, checking your underwear for bleeding. So that's what research shows is when it becomes problematic. Also, if you're having thoughts of harming yourself or suicidal ideation, then it is definitely when we need to go and get further help. And I also think that it's helpful just to get support. Like I see women in my practice who are having that expected anxiety and that's already so much for them Mm -hmm. that they come in for therapy and added peer-to-peer support groups, that that's enough to seek out assistance. All right. So they don't have to be suffering fully all the time in order to go get help, nor mm-hmm. nor should they. Right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I, a, yeah. I imagine too. I, right. And then getting help coping with just, well, not just that, with that is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there's so much, not only in the worry about, like you said, getting past these particular dates, but then there are people saying stuff you know, mm-hmm. family members and whatnot. And I, I think like that brings in this, this own stress. So having to deal with other people's stuff around your loss. Yeah. I mean, that brings in a lot of invalidation. And I guess that's why I focus on emphasizing there's an expect, it's a time of expected anxiety. Cause I even know that one of the things in our survey that we found is that like 
Some people have great providers because we asked about the provider experience. Um, we're talking about OBs, nurses, midwives, and some people have horrible experiences where they're also getting that invalidate message from their healthcare provider. And so what we try to do is educate providers about what the subsequent pregnant partners or parents need is just validation of that their anxiety is real. And that can even help reduce some of the anxiety. I know that we have a list of tips for professionals, 13, and I threw them together based on research. I didn't throw them together. I researched them and put them together about four years ago. And then we use that as part of our study to ask, or our survey to ask in what order are they important to the pregnant person mm -hmm. after a loss. And basically number one was that they wanted to, their provider and others to understand the unique emotional experience of being pregnant after loss and remember the lost mom's need for reassurance when it comes mm -hmm. to her physical health and help reduce anxiety. Those are the top three things. Now we thought the validation of their grief would be important. And I do think it is during the subsequent pregnancy. And we asked the question of use the child's who died's name and conversation. That was the last thing out of the 13 that moms said they want during the subsequent pregnancy. So they really want this validation from their providers, from their family, mm -hmm. that this is super hard. It's like one of the most difficult things they've done. All right. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that, that says a lot. Child, of course. Yeah. 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 That says a lot about the role of providers and how important that can be. Mm -hmm. And also family members, like not pushing people along, like letting them decide mm -hmm. what they want to celebrate and not celebrate during subsequent pregnancy because the role of like some family members worried like, oh, well, they're too detached from the pregnancy. They don't want a baby shower or they don't want to decorate the nursery yet or they don't want to receive gifts or are all things that I didn't do the second time around because it hurt so much the first time as one of my clients said to take it back. And, oh, she had a different name for it. It was really poignant, but it's kind of like, yeah, like it's a take back. Like I didn't get that. So they don't want to go through those experiences again to be let down. So often other family members think, oh, well, they're detached and maybe they are a little bit, but it's just a protective detachment that's trying to help them get through this difficult time. And most of the time where the pregnant person is already subconsciously attached to the baby that's growing in their belly. So it's not something that research shows that you need to be super worried about when it comes to attachment later, as long as the parents are, you know, attaching in the ways they can. It's kind of like this dance of back and forth of choosing hope, but also holding on to this fear. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of um, how, sorry, that's kind of how people go through it as they waltz back and forth between the two. Right. And to your point, the pressure from uh, family members is they should be doing things a certain way mm -hmm. from the outside. They, you should have a baby shower and all these other things that I think end up leaving people feel more isolated. But also, I wonder about the level of agitation. There seems to be not like with the anxiety, let's say the anxiety is a bit higher and people in the family, maybe particularly a spouse, just isn't able to meet them, the person where they are with their anxiety. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've seen partners, like the person who's pregnant, get really agitated and irritable because they're not being heard. Mm -hmm. They're not being seen. Yeah. And I think that's how we normally, no matter what the experience, invalidation, right? Is we oh, get yeah. agitated or irritated if it's during a subsequent pregnancy or another area of life when our partner or our loved ones can't see us. And I think partly when it comes to partners, they have their own experience and it's unique and it's similar but different. Mm -hmm. Or with family members, it's just that they want to see us well. And they were a lot of people are hopeful that a subsequent baby and pregnancy will fix things. And so mm -hmm. when that's not the case, I don't think 
they know how to react. Mm -hmm. And then because they don't, that irritates us. It agitates us. Sure. Sure. And I think too, again, to your point that when it's, when you're in your grief and in your anxiety and potentially at the same time, it's really hard to see that other people might be having an experience too. Or not, well. Yeah. Or be able to, like, if it's something that feels like has happened to you and it's happened mm-hmm. in your body, it's a little bit harder to fully see or imagine how other people can be coping because I think it can feel really all consuming at times. Yeah, definitely. And there's two things that come up when you say that, that I think of, I think about like a lot of parents, specifically the moms or the birthing person who lost the baby often have feelings of failure sometimes mm-hmm. or guilt. And mm-hmm. so like that is brought up when other people have their own response to us of like, you know, why aren't you doing it this way? Or you need to get like, so my sister at one point, this is not the second thing that came up, but I'll go with it. My sister at one point said like, when are you going to like love this baby? When are you going to attach this baby for my mm-hmm. second pregnancy over the mm-hmm. phone? And I remember I got so mad at her because I was like, mm-hmm. you just don't understand. Like, mm-hmm. I do love this baby and I'm scared to death to love this baby because if I love this baby, it means I am going to be super hurt again when I lose the baby. Right. And so that just creates this frustration of like not being on the same plane as everybody because there's also mm-hmm. this guilt that like, why couldn't I do this last time? And this, mm-hmm. this feeling of failure. Mm-hmm. And I think what really resonates with my clients when I talk about this, when you talk about like this inwardness of grief and maybe the subsequent pregnancy experience is the circles of grief that, who was it? Lots of people talk about it. Option B, who's the author of that? So Sheryl Sandberg writes in her book, Option B, about the circles of grief. And that's just where I'm sourcing it from. I'm sure she sources it from other people. But this resonates with my clients and that like the first circle of grief are the immediate people who experience the loss. And then the second circle of grief are the people closest to that person in the loss community, be like the mom and the partner in the first circle of grief and the perinatal loss. And then you go outward and then maybe it's the children and the grandparents on the next circle. And outside of that are like friends and family. And all of these people, especially closer to the circle, are having their unique experience of loss and even the subsequent pregnancy. But when you reach for support, it's about support of grief that support needs to go outward, not inward. So we Mm -hmm. don't seek support Mm -hmm. or validation from the second ring unless they're children. But if it's like grandparents or in-laws from the people who have lost the baby, you actually want to go seek support for your own unique experience from your outer circle as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that really describes the experience of the griever and perinatal loss and then in subsequent pregnancy. It does feel all-consuming because pregnancy consumes you and so does grief. They're both Mm -hmm. embodied, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very internal. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. I mean, obviously with pregnancy, there's like the external people can see, but you can't see grief. You can't see anxiety specifically all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, people have to kind of go on with their day and Mm -hmm. button up in a certain way to be able to just function. So it's not like you're spilling out all over the place and people can see it all the time. It's, you're still maybe, you know, silently, but internally dealing with your own stuff. With your own oh, for experience. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of clients who were like, oh, I can make it through the day, but then I get home and I just kind of fall apart. And it's like, yeah, yeah you've been holding it together all day and then you need a place for your, your emotions to go. Right. Right. But, and I love that you're validating that because a lot of people feel bad about this. But what you're saying is that, of course, mm-hmm. of course you have to let this spill out at home. It's a lot to hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we hope to do at PALS. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you are doing. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. how could people not feel validated by all of this that you're doing? Yeah. So in terms of perinatal loss and people who are going on to become pregnant again, in what you've seen, is there a higher level of anxiety in the pregnancy and postpartum, like a clinical? Are you talking about pregnancy and postpartum or postpartum specific? Oh yeah. Like postpartum specifically. Well, so pregnancy, yes, we talked a little bit about the anxiety in pregnancy, but what about postpartum? Well, yeah, both are true. So postpartum anxiety is having any previous loss is a risk factor for postpartum anxiety and depression in the postpartum period. And then it's also a risk factor for anxiety and depression in a subsequent pregnancy. It doesn't necessarily increase it, but it's definitely a risk factor that it could increase the prevalence of anxiety or depression. So for people who have experienced a previous loss, what do you suggest to them in terms of preparing or getting support for a subsequent pregnancy? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard because sometimes it's just individual as well. But I do encourage people to find peer support groups because that seems to be where the most validation comes from. Someone who's going through the experience at the same time as you Mm -hmm. can say, oh, yeah, I'm feeling that too. And then I also encourage people to reach out to therapists for support as well. However, I am a clinical practitioner therapist, so I don't want to be someone who's just like using the hammer because all I see is nails. But I do think that it is helpful, especially if you're having a higher level of anxiety daily as you're even thinking about becoming pregnant again or are pregnant again to go seek support. And I think it's helpful in the grief period as well too to have grief therapy and that. And if the sooner I've seen with my own clients, the sooner we can get support around the loss, the more successful it seems to be to get support for that subsequent pregnancy and postpartum because it it opens the doorway to accessing it, right? Like it gives you permission and you see that it's helpful and then you can utilize it as you go through. And I've seen some people when they've had a loss and then they've had such a long time in between when they could try again for multiple reasons that they might see me in that period sporadically, but then they come back more once they're trying actively or when they become pregnant again. Mm. So that the, the amount of support you get can also vary. 
So I usually advocate for peer support, online support, especially if you're not someone. They're actually called lurkers in online grief communities. I think it's a funny name. But people get just as much benefit from online forums if they're lurkers, if they're people who never comment. Oh, just got it. Other people's comments. Yeah, I know it's weird, right? As they do, that's what research shows, as they do if they actively participate in the group in person or online. So... Yeah, I mean, anywhere that they can find that support that validates their experience. And what about friends or loved ones? What do you recommend to them if, if the people who are listening know someone who's had a loss? How can they be supportive? I really think, and I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I really think it's just about validation of that experience. And that yeah. if you are like a parent to the person who lost a child, that you try to find, because you have your own unique experience, right? Yeah. You, you're watching your child suffer because you're you and you lost your grandchild. Yeah. That that person, that grandparent needs to find support as well, which there is out, support out there for their own unique experience and they need to go the other way on the circle, outward instead of inward, so they can be present to validate for the person who lost the baby or the couple as well. And then I think it's just letting space to talk about their loss, to talk about their child, validating that it's normal and then Validating, of course, it's going to be hard when you go back to get pregnant again because that's where your trauma happened. That's where your loss occurred. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That so holding a, space. Sorry, that holding space concept that we're trying to become more accepting of in society. Right. right. I think it's really hard for people in general to like we don't have a good culture around grief just in general to be able to just listen. And almost I would say people are trying to tolerate listening to other people's pain, but don't really know what to do with it. So they start just saying weird stuff like you were mentioning before, like, Oh, well at least whatever it was Mm -hmm. early or, but it ends up being minimizing and invalidating. Mm -hmm. But if we can learn to just sit and listen and not try and fix everything like we don't have to say the perfect thing you can say I don't know what to say but I feel for you exactly Um, and we're worried about those moments of silence and I think partially too from the lost community perspective losing a child or a pregnancy and a baby is one of the it's everybody's greatest fear and so sometimes if the friend who's trying to support we say those comments of minimization to actually soothe our own anxiety and not the person in front of us right So yeah, it's a tricky situation. Right. So some things to try and avoid saying would be all of that. Anything that's, well, I don't know how, you know, the people who say things are coming from a good place, like you mentioned before. So they might not perceive what they're saying is minimizing, but it is really hard to kind of hold your thoughts and hold your tongue and think about what you're saying before you say it to someone who's experienced a loss. Yeah. And even then it's really interesting. So like in the grief community, when I was, writing for this one grief focused magazine still standing there's like a writer's forum and the people come in and be like oh my gosh my friend just had a baby that died I don't know what to say and literally it's like people who write articles about like what to say and not to say because (laughs) it's that challenging because there really is no words and everybody who does something is coming from a place of good intentions but that's not always the most beneficial right So what are some other things that people can do or health providers can do to support a person in pregnancy after loss? Yeah, so what we found between asking our moms and birthing person and pregnant person and then research is that basically we need family, friends, and healthcare providers to understand the unique emotional experience of a pregnancy after loss. 
remember that the lost mom needs reassurance when they're going to appointments. So in this situation, we encourage moms to advocate for themselves or the pregnant person to advocate for themselves because moms do need reassurance. If we're talking about postpartum anxiety where there's checking behaviors and this constant need for reassurance, that just creates more of an OCD loop. What we're actually trying to do here is say that doesn't matter right now because we're just trying to get the mom through this pregnant period. So Mm -hmm. reassurance from healthcare professionals would look like nice nurses when you call the nurses line who are really validating of their experience and of their worries and doesn't minimize them and said, of course, you'd be worried about the fact like myself that you ate pepperoni and a pizza that was cooked because you had a previous loss and that's lunch meat. And no, that's not something you need to be concerned about and understand why you are, which happened to me, but that was a great experience or, you know, extra ultrasounds or heart tone appointments Things like that can really help great relationship between the healthcare provider mm-hmm. and the person pregnant again after loss. Help them reduce their anxieties specifically by giving concrete medical information and being straightforward about things and not sugarcoating things. Understanding mm-hmm. that the relationship between a lost mom and her body is complex and that she might have mixed feelings about her body as well or the pregnant person. And also for providers, it's knowing where the resources are so that they can help access the parent, the lost parents and the pregnant parents again after loss, get them access to the appropriate grief support or mental health support or pregnancy after loss support so that they can find uh, resources that help them get through. And then also the big thing is realizing one baby, baby or pregnancy does not replace the other. Hmm. And what parents also like to hear is when they're going to their provider to use the child's name. And that's true of family members and friends as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a fantastic list. Really, really great. And is a lot of some of those resources and lists available on your website? Yeah, specifically for providers. We had a campaign last March, which is Pregnancy and Infant Loss or No, no, sorry, that's this month, October, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. In March is Pregnancy After Loss Awareness Month. And we had a campaign where the moms would go to their providers and give this information to them about what moms want during a subsequent pregnancy. And they could give this information to healthcare providers. So the long answer is yes, we have this information (laughs) online. That's awesome. I'll be sure to give everybody links to what you have online so that they can go find them for themselves. (laughs) Thank you so much for giving us all of this information and ways that we can help and support families who are experiencing pregnancy after loss. This is really fantastic. Well, thank you for having me. I really believe that this information in our episode today is critical and key. More people who have experienced a pregnancy loss than maybe you know, or who might be talking about it, and really developing our sensitivity around having these conversations and being a support is really necessary. Lindsay has developed quite a lot of resources, and you can find a lot of great information at pregnancyafterlosssupport.org. You can go on Facebook and Instagram to Pregnancy After Loss Support or find Lindsay on Facebook at Lindsay M. Henke. For those of you who are new to the Mom and Mind podcast, please subscribe. Wherever you listen to podcasts, there's a subscribe button there so that you can get all of these episodes downloaded directly to you when they become available. And share, share, share. We really need this information to get out to as many people as possible so that we can continue to normalize and validate the experience of families going through perinatal mental health complications. Thanks so much for being with us. Until next time. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.